To the measure of a fan, a Star Trek podcast in which three nerds watch all of Star Trek chronologically. One of those nerds is watching it for the very first time. My name is PJ Montgomery, and I am joined as ever by Matt Troy. Hello. And our resident first timer, Elliot Red. That's me. Hi, everybody. How are we both this week? I'm very sleepy. <laughs> I completely share that sentiment. <laughs> I've had a busy time. This is a high-energy podcast. It's uh... Don't worry, I'll still be here. Yeah, I was going to rely on you guys to do some of the heavy lifting, but uh, I guess we'll <laughs> just have to put in maximum effort, as Deadpool would say. I've had to stay up late because I have been communicating with Canada, not in not like a weird radio ham or anything, but <laughs> um, I am going to Canada next month, at which point that would be October for, for those who... Uh, were curious as to how long it takes us to get an episode recorded and sent up because I'm getting married in Canada. Woo! Yep. Party time for Matt. That is very exciting stuff. By the time you folks hear this, it will be this month. Yeah. This month, I'm getting married in Canada. <laughs> I don't know who to yet, but I'm sure I'll find someone. <laughs> the Canadians are nice. One of them's going to say yes. <laughs> we've, uh, we've set my challenge. He's got to go to Canada and come back married. That's... <laughs> I'll try my best. <laughs> so this week we are looking at Carbon Creek, uh, the second season two episode of Enterprise, which was written by Rick Berman and Brennan Braga and Dan O'Shannon. I got confused when I saw that credit and I thought, the guy who wrote Alien? No, that's Dan O'Bannon. It is. This is Dan O'Shannon's only Star Trek credit, apparently. Okay. But he was quite a prolific writer on both Cheers and Frasier. This explains a lot about this episode. <laughs> yeah, that exact same thought. It was also directed by James Contner, who I believe was a long-time Star Trek director at this point. So our teaser, I already had a question here, because basically Archer, Tripp, and T'Pol, who are the only main characters we're going to see in this episode, are, are having dinner together to celebrate the one-year anniversary of T'Pol joining the crew? But wouldn't that be everyone else's one-year anniversary as well? Because they all kind of joined at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I hadn't thought about that. You're absolutely right. They all left at the exact same time. <laughs> it was that one mission where they had to take Clang back to the Klingons. Did she, like, sign on, maybe? Like, slightly earlier or slightly later? <laughs> like, is it just that everybody else's sign-on date is, like, in two days' time? Like, she got a form in early because she's fucking nerd? <laughs> or just because it was like favoritism because the Vulcans obviously were choosing their one Vulcan to send and they were just like yeah we've already chosen it go and choose your humans I'm sure it's going to take you a few weeks we've already got our one that we're going to send Like, <laughs> but you know it is 
Admiral yeah. Forrest and and Commander um, Hype Man were just there like for ages trying to figure out who was going to be on board. <laughs> oh, yeah. What about Travis? Like, who's Travis? I've explained to you five times. There's <laughs> <It's, laughs> no surprise there that that's how many it takes. I completely forget. Did we mention last episode that we have to correct ourselves on that Admiral Hype Man has been there this whole time? Did no, no we, we didn't um, because we'd finished recording the episode when I found out. Turns out, Commander Hype Man, he's in the pilot. We all forgot because <laughs> he didn't do a very good job of hyping. <laughs> To be fair, there are a lot of people lurking around in this show in the background. That is true. Yeah. Maybe this one year anniversary thing, though, maybe all week they have like Archer and Trip, who are the buddies. They have been having these dinners with everyone. So one night they had Hoshi up there and they went, oh, Hoshi, it's a year since you first, I don't know, did a language thing. Ah, Dr. Flox, it's been a year since you first brought your weird pets on board. And then another night. Sorry, who are you and why are you here? And Travis goes, ah. <laughs> Do you reckon they all told uh, an increasingly unlikely story and it was just like <laughs> story roulette? <laughs> I mean, Travis definitely told a ghost story. He definitely has, yeah. Oh. Uh, I would rather have seen that episode. I want to see an actual ghost story. <laughs> You've seen like five. They just were all shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hmm. Funny that. Well, I mean, it was about it was about at this point, you know, after what two lines of dialogue that I came up with my first and pretty much only observa- observation uh, of this episode, <laughs> which is that Archer has the face of a man who is always about to ask a question, and Topol looks like she's always going to cry. And I have a feeling that those two things are infinitely fueling each other. <laughs> yeah, Topol kind of does look a little bit hangdog, doesn't she? Just like. Like, she's constantly sad that this is what her life has amounted to. (laughs) Yeah, after that, I kind of checked out. So I'm going to be bouncing off you guys for a little bit. (laughs) Cool. Well, to Paul, despite the very arbitrary nature of the reasons for this dinner, says, yes, I will have some wine. So she's got wine now. And I think she must be a lightweight because instantly, basically, stuff starts kicking off in this dinner mm. and by stuff kicking off i mean to paul tell stories but it's all really awkwardly set up by archer going oh hey i read your file you've served longer on a human ship than any other vulcan before and to paul's like yes yes i have for my <laughs> sins <laughs> archer says and i saw in your record that one time when you were stationed in sausalito you went to visit a town called carbon creek why did you go there and T'Pol doesn't want to tell him. And then they're all like, no, but fucking tell us. Yeah, because nobody on Enterprise knows a thing about consent. No. And then they ask about they ask about her age, and then she denies telling them. That's the point suddenly when Archer's like, oh no, we can't push her to tell us things that that we, you know, she doesn't want to tell us, Trip. That would be rude. Tell us more about why you went to Carbon Creek, though. Like, why did he pick that? Why didn't he be like, I noticed that on the, the 12th of October, you know, 21 to 35, you had six shits in the same day. Can you tell us about that? Like, <laughs> why this? <laughs> this leads to the uh, the revelation from T'Pol that she went there because that's where first contact with Vulcans and humans actually happened and they're all like no that happened in Montana in 2063 and she went well you strap in <laughs> <laughs> we can hear this shit 
Yeah. And oh boy, was I glad I was wearing my seatbelt because we got rocked. Well, there was immediately a crash. So, you know, it was probably wise. (laughs) So we cut back to 1957 in orbit of Earth and a Vulcan survey ship crashes into the Sputnik. Is that what that was supposed to be? Is that I, I did not know. I thought that Sputnik was accounted for, but okay. I thought they was just like flight of the navigator, like they crashed into some power cables because they were looking at flowers or oh. something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're oh they're they've seen the Sputnik, so they're going, Oh, a human's ready for first contact? Oh no, but ah, oh, their ship breaks and they crash near Carbon Creek in Pennsylvania. There's four Vulcans on this ship. The captain dies, we won't mention him again. There is also two guys named Mestral and Stron. And then we also have Tamir, who is T'Pol's second foremother, which is her great-grandmother, basically. I've consistently written her down as Grandma T'Pol in my notes. Uh, (laughs) So if I say that, that's what I mean. I think uh, Granny T'Pol, yeah. (laughs) And I'll say at this point, I was a little frustrated that they had to be wearing leather jackets that were like proper like stylized leather jackets and definitely not something that falcons would be wearing. Yeah, they did look like leather jackets and pants, didn't they? I mean, we can only assume it's some kind of Vulcan synthetic hardware, hard-wearing kind of suit. But they, yeah, they were a weird, um, weird design. If it had landed in the 70s... But if they landed in the 70s, they would have had bell bottoms. Like, it's just whatever fits the situation. It's so frustrating when I've never seen a Vulcan in leather ever. And then all of a sudden, there's one episode set in 1950s, and every Vulcan happens to be wearing leather when they crash on Earth. Yeah, of course. You don't remember Leather Daddy Vulcan's episode? <laughs> it's good. It's coming. Is it? <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> The uh, the other thing we should point out about Tamir is she's also played by Jolene Blaylock, because Star Trek kind of star trek i'm fine with this yeah i'm all right with it you know i'm just assuming that this is how they're imagining it in the room so they're <laughs> obviously going to imagine her to look like to paul and uh, yeah it's fine I, I i'm all for using the actors for other things tv at this time was always very much if at some point we, and Voyager did it as well. Um, you're going to have a, a moment where a character tells a story about an ancestor and the ancestor is going to be the same actor. And to be fair, it's not even just a Star Trek thing. I've, so many TV shows were doing this yeah. in, in the 90s and 2000s. So it's, yeah. it's TV. No, absolutely. I agree. They can use the actor well. It would have been nicer if she was, It's you know, kind of just due to the limitation of a Vulcan themselves, would have been nice if she'd been able to sort of play a different character, but she was kind of forced to just play the exact same character, despite it being a different character. That is a a fairly good point, yeah. Yeah, it was pretty much just T'Pol. But Granny T'Pol and Mestrel and Stron basically live in the woods for a month. <laughs> I think they was it a month, they said? Something like that, yeah. They ran out of rations, Shia LaBeouf style, living in the forest. <laughs> and, and then a deer comes along and Mestrel's like, we could kill any of that. And Stron goes, no, we are not savages. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) And then they point out, oh, well, there is a town nearby. Why don't we go there instead? Yeah. So they do. They go to town, Vulcans in the big city. And to Paul, it's sexy behind a sheet. Yeah, that was gross. (laughs) So we get a scene where... uh, 
Granny Topol and Mestral steal some clothes off a washing line. And half of it, they're sort of going for a City on the Edge of Forever tribute. Yeah. And then the other half is, let's light the sheet so you can see Topol naked in silhouette. And then she has her uh, dress on backwards. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Mestral does cosplay as City on the Edge of Forever Spock, but... He does. And again, I'm fine with everything so far. I mean, I think that this is a perfectly good introduction. This is what would happen in Star Trek, not other TV shows. But in Star Trek, this is exactly what happens when they're forced to travel through time, go to a primitive planet, be sucked through a dimension, or retrospectively tell the story of of an ancestor of an alien. This is all classic Star Trek stuff. Yep. Yep. Also, it means that Vulcan first contact with humans is not here because Spock was around in the 1920s in the city on the edge of forever. So, come on. But of course, that hadn't actually happened at this point. But because time travel, it also has already happened. Yeah. But I mean, they don't know about it. No. (laughs) And also, for the the point of view of longtime Star Trek fans, Quark uh, and um, Rom, is it? And. Somebody? Nog. And Nog, all three of them are in Roswell in 1947. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, aliens are everywhere on Earth in from the 20s to about the 60s. Also, aren't humans seeded from aliens in one of the future plots? Isn't that a whole thing? Like that everybody is actually seeded from one sort of template? Room? Yeah. So we're a ways off that yet. <laughs> I mean, we're a ways off Cork too, but that's fine. Also, <laughs> just want to give um, Grandma to Paul her dues that she got walking on human heels pretty quickly. You know, human heel shoes, I mean, not human heels. She's not cut a human's foot off and was wearing the human's heels beneath her own. Yeah, she got into a pair of like 1950s style shoes. Where the shoes come from? <laughs> you don't hang shoes on a washing machine. Oh, don't you? I, I hang my shoes up to dry. <laughs> That's why everyone thinks your house is a drug dealer's house. (laughs) (laughs) That explains a lot. (laughs) We we can only assume that they'd stolen the shoes out of someone's porch or something, I guess. I will say, at this point, I do quite like the actors playing Mestral and Stron, uh, J. Paul Bomer and Michael Kravik. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of them both, actually. And I'm going to say up front, I'm enjoying this episode so far. Me too. Me too. I, I almost... I'm going to discuss it more at the end, actually. I'm going to leave it for the moment, but uh, I did quite like this this episode. Mm. So they, the Vulcans wander around town, find a bar, and they're like, oh, we can have food, but we've got no money. Oh, she's given us pretzels. Lovely. Lucky they hunted in America. They wouldn't have had such a good time in the British pub in the 50s. Oh, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> but there's also, handily, a guy there challenging people to a game of pool and taking wages on it. And Mestral goes, hey, I've watched this game. It's just geometry, which <laughs> echoes something actually Tuvok said in, in Voyager. So there's another little nod. These, these are more subtle nods. I like it, yeah, actually, rather more... than the overt ones we had in the last episode. Yeah. Yeah. I, again, I'm enjoying this. I can see where this is going. Pretty fun. Yeah. So the guy who's playing pool says, well, if you can't bet with money, I want to go on a date with your lady. And to Granny Topol is like, absolutely not <laughs> and Mestral's all come on I got this I got this yo once again T'Pol or a T'Pol analogue is up for sale yeah again though I can kind of accept this he's like supposed to be a 50s boar they're in a bit of a tight spot 
Um, Mr. All knows that he can use his knowledge of geometry to win at pools. <laughs> it's okay. It's it's definitely not the worst. And he does. He wins the pool. They've got money, and then they all get jobs. And now they're living in the 50s, and this is where the sitcom Vulcans comes from. Vulcans is filmed before a live studio audience. <laughs> I, I do really enjoy the inter-Vulcan shade as well between them, where they're just kind of like sniping at each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, we do cut back to the Enterprise at this point, where Trip goes, hey, this sounds like the Twilight Zone, and that's... <laughs> the Enterprise scenes are largely irrelevant here. Yeah, because it's just it's Trip talking over something that you're listening to. Like, it's it's like sitting behind Trip at the cinema. It's like, you know, he's not going to get that plane with Victor Laszlo. You know, he's like, shut up. <laughs> Play it again, Sam. He doesn't say that line. Shut up. <laughs> so the Vulcans set up a life. They managed to find a house to live in, which, fair enough. Okay. Granny Topol works in the bar and... Strong. He becomes a plumber. Yeah. But even his Vulcan strength isn't enough for the 1950s plumbing, so he has to use Vulcan technology on it. And one woman keeps calling him back because she fancies him. Yeah. They all kind of look really weird, and you would imagine, like, well, actually, this could go one of two ways, which is what I was thinking earlier on. Either it's because they look so weird, that's why people in the town find them attractive because they're exotic, or you'd imagine mm. that, you know, within a matter of days, they'd have been declared Russians and probably, like, you know, set on fire or something, or killed in a series of misfortunate <laughs> gunshot accidents. But no, they seem to be doing okay. <laughs> They're of them. Yeah, well, Strawn, as, as you said, Matt, does get compared to one of the Three Stooges by this lady's son, which uh, Mestrel finds very funny <laughs> in a Vulcan way. <laughs> yeah. Was this, uh, yeah, is this Jack, the character Jack, the, the kid? No, who... we don't. We don't see this. This is just the the kid of whoever plumbing Strong keeps on having to go out to. No idea who that is. <laughs> we didn't meet them. It's just we saw him doing a sink, and you know. Yeah. So he he's basically it's a bit of a sitcom trope, uh, sort of averted by them being Vulcans. In that there's like a a horny single woman who is inviting the guy around to constantly fix her plumbing because that's a big wink hint about what's going on. Uh, so mm. she's like, you know, throwing her probably dead husband's ring down the sink. So he has to come and take the, <laughs> the garbage disposal. And the son is a brat and he calls him Mo. We've seen this. I mean, we're basically hearing what we would usually see in a cheesy old sitcom. Yeah. Yeah. We're seeing the characters after the studio lights have gone off and how tired they are <laughs> that their lives are this this stupid. Yeah, that's, uh, that is very true. Uh, Mestrel now works in the mine with the guy who played pool and their pals, I guess. Yeah. This is the third time this week I've had to fix Mrs. Garrett's sink. Perhaps she enjoys your company. It might be tolerable if her son didn't insist on calling me Mo. Why does he do that? There is a comic actor known as a stooge with that name. The boy believes we have similar hair. There is a resemblance. This is intolerable. I'm a warp field engineer. Then perhaps you can help me construct a subspace transceiver. I told you, it's impossible. If we remain here, we'll die. This world's on the brink of self-annihilation. I don't believe that. 
Because your fascination with this species is blinding you. You sit for hours each day in front of this idiotic device. I'm doing research. Perhaps if you spent more time observing human behavior, you might not have such a pessimistic view of them. And then Mestral says, Oh, I gotta go back to the ship to get a thing for the TV because I wanna watch I Love Lucy. And Granny to Paul is all the fuck? <laughs> I love that it was I Love Lucy, is <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Like, I, I get this as well, because, you know, under normal circumstances, after the Vulcans had made contact with humans and people started to move to Earth to do work, human culture is probably going to get boring real quick. But at this point, it's a genuine novelty, and he's actually interested in it, and, and that makes me chuckle. <laughs> yeah, I, I like how much interest Mestral takes in it and how much pleasure he derives from it and enjoyment, and how he's he's still clearly Vulcan, but you can also sort of see there the fascination with the human culture that the other two are sort of dismissing and saying, oh, I don't like it. They're the sort of like British people who would take beans on holidays with them. They eat foreign But Mr. L, he, you know, he'll, he'll have a paella. He'll, he'll go and drink a little beer. You know, he'll watch a bull fight or something. <laughs> He's <doing the> <laughs> Uh, I did notice in this scene as well, in their house, Stron is constantly building stuff on the table, and I thought that was a nice another City on the Edge of Forever callback. It looked a lot like Spock's workstation there. I know we're talking about an episode you haven't seen yet, Elliot, but it's a classic. Yeah, these all of these completely went over my head. <laughs> yeah. Also, it's worth mentioning at this point, we are starting to hear about the fear of atomic uh, sort of explosions and tests going on in the episode. One of the characters, you know, talks about it, and then uh, Granny DePaul says, doesn't it scare you? So we, we've got this backdrop of the, you know, the rail politique of what's going on in uh, 50s America as well. Hmm. Yeah, uh, very much height of the Cold War and atomic testing. You even see one of the atomic tests on the TV in the bar, don't you, at one That's point? Right, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but Mr. Al, Instead of going to get the aerial, he's going on a date with the lady who runs the bar. Is it Maggie? Is that her name? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, Maggie. Yeah. They're going for a makeout date at a ball game. Yeah. And then I, I do quite like this moment. She actually kisses him. And he's like, oh, I was just surprised, but it was very enjoyable. <laughs> and she says, enjoyable? Is that what you got to say? And he says, I, I did say very enjoyable. <laughs> I'm with him on that one. He's... He's not wrong on that. He did say very enjoyable, and that yeah. is a step above enjoyable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> also, he is, she just moments ago said, you haven't got a pointy head, you're not from Mars. <laughs> <laughs> and luckily, he could say, confidently say no to both of those things. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but unfortunately, Granny Topol followed him and knows that he lied. She was very much doing a uh, Michael Myers in Halloween style look. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> yeah. see, I was I was thinking T one thousand, but yes, uh, yeah, also, yeah, also that, yeah, <laughs> just lurking in the background. Just just stood there staring yeah. straight at them, <laughs> carrying a big knife for some reason. Huh? <laughs> she was even standing in that like slightly aggressive stance, legs spread slightly, <laughs> arms at her side, ready to pounce. She hates baseball in Doylestown. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's because those Doylestown pricks always cheat. So, yeah, cheating bastards. 
But they start arguing with Mestrel going, I'm I'm quite liking it here. I, I think the humans are pretty cool. Yeah, they've got some problems, but, you know, they've got compassion. And she's like, aha, that's an emotion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, compassion. Like, uh, of all the emotions, it's kind of like the most a- kind of arm's length one. Like, we're not going to be, like, fondling out of compassion now, are we? It's it's the, it's the fucking emotion that the Jedi can have. Like it's the Jedi version of love. It's, <laughs> it's not a high stakes emotion, really. I do quite. I think is it the next scene after this one where Topol tries to meditate at the bar, and then the the kid comes along and they have a conversation like this, vaguely reminiscent of the start of a porn film. <laughs> it's very <laughs> awkward. <laughs> It is, it is. It's where she starts to sort of warm up to humanity as as she realises, oh, hey, this kid, he wants to go to college and do that book learning. So maybe some humans are okay? Yeah. And this kid is probably the only kid that I thought was actually the a decent performance of the episode. He was good. I liked him. Hmm. I like the Vulcans too, but I like this kid. Yeah, I like the Vulcans and, and as well. I, I don't think anyone's particularly bad in this episode. Just those are the only characters we really spend time with. But yeah, so the, the Jack, the he's also the son of Maggie who runs the bar. He's He just goes to the library and reads, which, you know, 50s. They didn't have a Sega Mega Drive yet. So what else are you going to do? He's like, yeah, if they'd have landed now, he'd be like, oh, I've got this website called Reddit. You know Rogan? Yeah, these are like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's not a little mind. But yeah, so uh, Granny Topol's like, okay, so not all humans are bad. Cool. And then there's an accident in the coal mine. Some kind of big explosion. Some of the miners are, are sort of trapped, suffocating. And Mestra's like, I'm going to get my blaster and free them. Oh, yeah. He gets like a proper retro-looking laser, doesn't he? <laughs> it, yeah, I wrote down that I really liked that they were in the 50s and it also looked like a proper 50s sci-fi gun. <laughs> yeah. It was massive. Yeah, he, he got them out. I, again, I really enjoyed this bit. Like, I was kind of hoping he would use, like, his Vulcan strength to, like, pull a bomb yeah. out and everyone would, like, really love him for that. But it, this is fine. Yeah, and you know, he manages to talk around Granny Topol so that she's helping him by scanning from above to find out where he can go to, one, free the trap miners, but to do it in a place where he won't be seen shooting his big sci-fi gun. So, yeah, I, I liked that. I liked the, the very small amount of, sort of, development we've seen in her oh i thought it was a good scene did you know as well that maggie is Anne cusack as in john and joan cusack's uh sibling i did but only because i looked on imdb yeah i yeah. saw the name cusack and uh i did wonder about that yeah it is that is her because when i saw her i was like i know that face and she doesn't super look like the other cusacks but it was just enough no. to think mm, i'm gonna look this up she mm-hmm. she doesn't have the Cusack mouth. No. But she has like the little beady Cusack eyes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Cusacks. I think that you're all incredibly beautiful people. Um, <laughs> my eyes too are beady and weird. <laughs> yeah, so they, they save the miners and no one knows they've got a big sci-fi gun. So that's that's good. And then we cut to three months later and they receive a call from another Vulcan ship. They said, oh, we didn't think our distress call made it. And they went, yeah, it got to a Tellarite freighter and they just took fucking ages forwarding it onto us. Interesting that the Tellarites had warp flight this early on. 
I thought that. Also, is this our first mention of the Tellarites on Enterprise? No, I'm fairly certain that they've been mentioned before. Okay. In passing in the background. Uh, if I'm wrong, please rip the crap out of me online, everybody. But I'm sure, not... we've definitely mentioned them on the podcast. I don't know. Oh if yeah, we've done that's that from an episode actually mentioning it themselves or not. I don't know. Yeah, I am fairly certain that they have been mentioned in show as well. Not that it means anything to me, but <laughs> you don't care about Tellarites one bit. <laughs> Even when we've met them, you probably won't really care about Tellarites, to be honest, Elliot. <laughs> big people, big people. <laughs> That's what they are, right? But, uh, it means, yeah, they're the pig people. But it means that the Vulcans are sending a ship to pick up the uh, the the Vulcans on Earth. They've got some time to kill, so Granny to Paul goes to say goodbye to Jack, and he's like, I'm not going to college now, I can't afford it. So she takes the Velcro that they were just keeping in a place on the Vulcan ship and says, hey, I've invented this, give me money. And it works. I I, I wanted to ask, actually, Elliot, did you realise it was going to be Velcro? So, hang on, did we see that Velcro at any point before she takes it to the guy in the episode? Was it like no. on the Vulcan ship for us to actually see? Okay, no. and we're assuming that she actually had Velcro. And not that she went and actually just invented Velcro in order to be Yeah, rich. it was in the glove compartment on the ship. Yeah. How do we know that? Because we saw her go get it. Okay, so we did see it. Yeah, we saw her go to fetch it before she went to the thing. Yeah. Right. We didn't know what it was she was getting, but she went and got something out of the ship and then went and said, hey, look at this, and it's Velcro. Oh, okay, right. That's kind of lame. I wish she'd invented it. Well, maybe she did. We don't know. Perhaps, yeah, perhaps that was a little project that she was working on. Well, that's that's very silly. If, if Vulcans invented Velcro before they even came to Earth, uh, I guess it's all the same amount of silly, really. But I mean, they've invented warp drive as well. I think Velcro kind of comes first. There's <laughs> nothing to say that they even invented it. They might have just traded it off, like, the Tellarites who invented Velcro. Because they have, oh, I like actually. That's that's quite funny as well. That Topol went on her massive spaceship and was like, "Any of this future technology going to make me a buck? The lasers, the scanners, the warp drive, the Velcro. That's going to yes, this will drive him crazy." <laughs> She's also still a Vulcan, so she knows she can't. She doesn't want to <laughs> give them something that's going to completely change civil. Like, hmm, Velcro, <laughs> warp drive. Which one's going to fuck them up the most? It's not as if she's going to go on the ship and find their whoopee cushion, is it? Or <laughs> <laughs> amusing. You have made it sound like I passed gas. I've, I've looked this up on the internet, and so I can't guarantee it's 100% correct, but apparently Velcro was invented by a net man named George de Mestral. Yeah. Uh, oh, no way. Which is where they got the name of Mestral, the Vulcan, in the episode. Because uh, I, I knew, because the reason I asked you that, Elliot, is it's pretty much always Velcro when if somebody's invented something space age and it's made them a bunch of money, it's Velcro, isn't it? It's where it always goes back down to either Velcro or or, or um, bubble wrap. <laughs> they are the two things that the people tend to give to the past when they time travel. <laughs> So she sells the Velcro and then puts all the profits in the tip jar. So now Jack can go to college. That's about that. And then the Vulcans turn up and I've already forgotten his name. I just said it. Mel Mestrel. <laughs> Melvin. <laughs> so he says, I'm going to I'm gonna stay on Earth. And Stron's all, oh, but no, oh, no. And Granny Topol's like, yeah, all right. So they just go back to the Vulcan ship, tell the Vulcans, ah, oh, the captain and Mestral both died in the crash and we cremated them. And I'm assuming this ship has no scanners? 
I mean, you're right, actually, because one thing that I always find infuriating about Star Trek is they rock up at a planet, like a literally an infinitely massive thing in space, and somebody sees <laughs> a few buttons and they go, oh, yeah, there's four Klingons down there. One of them's taking a shit. Like, they just know where you can In full view of the other three, it's weird. Um, yeah, I, I did find it kind of weird. But maybe they were just kind of like, oh, right, we've got to like track the beam, this fucking wreckage off the planet, just in case anybody sees this. And we've got to get out of here quick. There's just no time to do a detailed survey for like one Vulcan dude who's sneaking off. Mm. And uh, probably going to go to some like weird prosthetics clinic in the nineties and like have his ears rounded or something, so he doesn't have to wear hats forever. <laughs> and uh, that's that's about it. Then we go back to the Enterprise where Archer and and Trip are like, "Well, how did he die on Earth?" And Depol says, "Well, presumably," which raises the interesting point: he could have still been there when actual first contact happened. Yeah, he could have. What, what that been about one hundred and fifty years later. Uh, this was 57. First contact was 2063, so 106 years. Oh, yeah, he was definitely alive then. Plus, they just picked him up. Well, he might have died in World War Three. Yeah, probably got atomized. I just want to <laughs> mention as well, there's a great line at the end that feeds into the sitcom element with uh, Mo, where he goes, I promised Mrs. Garrett I would repair the suction device. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and then Topol convinces Archer and Trip that she's been just lying the whole time. Said I said I would tell you a story, eh, eh? And they're like, oh, it didn't really happen. Then fair enough. And then she goes back to her quarters, and she's got her great grandmother's bag. So it did happen. It, it was Earth all along. <laughs> and that's our episode. Mm. <laughs> Yes, I definitely don't share your sentiment of enjoying this episode. <laughs> so here's here's my thinking on it. I enjoyed all the Vulcans on Earth stuff. I thought it was a fun, uh, you know, sitcom. Basically, it was an enjoyable sitcom about three aliens landing on Earth and not really knowing what to do. And I had fun with that. The Enterprise scenes, yeah. So I think Berman and Braga wrote the Enterprise scenes, and Dan O'Shannon wrote all the Earth stuff. Yeah, except for the creepy to Paul behind the curtain bit. Oh yeah, we know who wrote that, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just can't see it that way. I, everything that with the Vulcans on Earth, three aliens learning to live in an Earth society. I've seen a hundred times over in sci-fi done way better at any point in this episode and barely any lines of dialogue were at all interesting. Now I'm going to agree with you to a point there because yes. Okay. You know, this is basically a less funny third rock from the sun, but But this is also a far less impactful ET and a far less impactful (laughs) back to the future and a far less impactful hundreds of other things that do exactly this episode a hundred times better. It is also, you know, it is an episode of Enterprise, and we'll take what we can get. But I I genuinely enjoyed it. I enjoyed the sort of, like, what we've got to accept and what we've got to look at here. Maybe this is, again, part of what you're probably missing from this is the weight of of, of Vulcans Vulcans being Vulcans. Yeah. Yeah, I I kind of enjoy, like, this actually reminds me of um, a story from uh, Ian Banks, uh, I think, from the book State of the Art. Uh, where his fictional meta-civilization, the culture, spend uh, like a decade studying humans on Earth and one of them wants to stay behind in a in a sort of a very similar parallel to what's going on here. But, you know, I think that's generally 
where this storyline is going to go. Like one of them's going to want to go native and stay behind. But yeah, I, I enjoyed the touches. It's a gentle episode. It's a bit of a bottle episode, yeah. I suppose, as well. If they hadn't, you know, obviously had spent a lot of money on some fifty sets, which were great. Also, I really enjoyed the town and the dismal little house that they all lived in. Yeah, I enjoyed uh, the sort of the subplot about him going to college. Like we knew that was going to happen, but it's all that kind of thing. I mean, what we have to accept about this episode is that this is not to Paul's granny. This is to Paul, as far as we are concerned. I know, it, obviously, they are two separate people. So this is like a, an allegory for to Paul sort of learning to be a sure. little bit more so, human. So is it the watching Vulcans engage in human society that you enjoyed? Because it certainly didn't add anything to Vulcans. Like, I'm not even just talking as a fan of Star Trek. There's nothing new about Vulcans in this story. We already know that Vulcans are just slightly autistic humans and some are more autistic than others. And this story yeah. has nothing to add anything to that. It just shows another example of that aspect. Oh, absolutely. It, it's just about Vulcans <laughs> being about uh, uh, amongst humans. But like I said, I just it's think... Just it's just enjoyable to watch a, a Vulcan school someone at pool. Like, that's literally yeah, it. that was yeah. fun. Yeah. I think, I think there is an element of this is a slightly more backwards human society than even what we're apparently seeing in Enterprise. And it's interesting to see sort of an, an older version of the Vulcans in you know, interacting with an older version of humans. It's also a way nicer environment for Vulcans to be in than the Enterprise is. It, yeah. Enterprise is way worse than Carbon yeah. King, which is mad. <laughs> but I, I I do feel like as well it's that maybe what Matt said is, you know, because the way we're approaching Star Trek for you, Elliot, seeing if watching it chronologically works, this is maybe an instance where it doesn't because you don't, as Matt said, have the weight of all the rest of Star Trek behind it. You've just got a season and an episode of Enterprise behind it. Yeah, no, I but I understand how important Vulcans are. Like mm, jackasses, so far. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I did also find myself thinking, "Hey, I'm kind of enjoying this," and then my very next thought was, "Has Enterprise Stockholm syndrome me?" <laughs> I was checking how long the episode until it was over constantly, and it just kept getting longer. Seemingly, time slowed <laughs> to a still at one point. Do you know what though, Elliot? Lisa agreed with you. I, the only note I have from her is that she found it boring. It's so it's the worst crime a show can have is to be dull, and it's the most frustrating thing. <laughs> uh, this is like this is tea time science fiction, and we're never gonna. Well, at least until we get to like Deep Space Nine, at least gonna get anything totally revolutionary in terms of of what's going on. Um, okay, maybe some of the the TOS and the TNG episodes actually did push boundaries, but this is just like. A bottle episode in a series i enjoyed it for what it was it's never going to be the best star trek episode but i did think it was a nice change of scenery and change of pace to the usual you know random yellowy grass or a couple of rocks that we we end up seeing when they go to any planet you know at least we got to be in in, in earth in real time I, I just enjoyed the sort of again relatively gentle but sort of subtle play between the vulcans and yeah i just i just thought it was you know it's like I said, it's just a bottle episode. It's just a rando episode of the show. Yeah. I think easily the best episode of season two so far. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Out of all two. Out of yeah. all two of them. Uh, hard three out of ten. Work on your dialogue. I've got um, <laughs> I've got a big soft spot for any episode of any science fiction show where they go to Earth as well, like especially in the past. Well, usually in the past, even if it's not that good. So I'm also biased in that way. <laughs> Some of my favourite episodes of Star Trek are where they travel to the past on Earth, although the past was the present day of where they were filming. I know both TOS and Voyager did it, and those are highlights of both those shows yeah. for me. 
And actually, as a as a fair point to this episode, this is the first episode of Star Trek where some the, the crew have gone back to Earth, and one of the fucking crew isn't an expert on twenty or twentieth first century culture. Yeah. So, oh man, it's an automobile. <laughs> like, These things ran on gas. <laughs> yeah. This this would have been an early nuclear car, and you're like, no, it's not. This is what I mean. I've heard those things a hundred times. So when Topol and other Vulcan are walking past a radio playing, what was it, football or something, and they think it's fighting, and go, oh, it's for entertainment. It's like there's nothing clever or funny. Let's not forget though, Star Trek invented this. Yeah. <laughs> then like, do it better stuff. if you made it. You make the only thing you you the thing that you made, and you're doing it boringly. I think that this shameful. is shameful. The problem with this episode is that whereas I'm seeing this as, again, this is not a fan's episode because it's absolutely not, but like a lot of the enjoyment that both Patrick and I got from this were picking up on uh, little references, which you just didn't get any of. So you sort of got the like the colorblind version of this where you only could see (laughs) one set of numbers where we could see a sailboat or something, you know? (laughs) Sorry to anyone out there who is colorblind. I'm sure that, you know, you can see the sailboat. That probably sounds absolutely correct, but I think that's the sign of a badly written episode of a TV program. Uh, A heavily legacied TV program as well. (laughs) Yeah, I guess I mean I don't want to like go out of my way to defend it because it you know like well, no, it's likewise true it is heavy heavily legacy I agree but totally one sided is not not how it should be. Try meeting a mint. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I totally get your point. Yeah, and I, I don't really have anything else to say about it either. You know, I enjoyed it for what it was, and I liked. I thought the references were done much better here than they were in Shockwave Part 2, yes. although the ones in Shockwave Part 2 meant at least Elliot spotted them <laughs> because <laughs> they so basically shouted, yeah, here's a reference. Yeah, it's a little unfair to say, oh, well, he caught those ones because I didn't catch them. They were flung out all over my body. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so Carbon Creek, hey, we watched it. <laughs> yes, we did. At least we didn't have to see Malcolm. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> One benefit. There's always a silver lining. Malcolm is in our next episode, though, because our next episode is Minefield. Elliot, what do you think? Minefield, weapons expert. Oh, God, is it actually going to be a Malcolm Malcolm episode? I'm not telling. Oh, well, I guess we'll have to wait and see everyone. You're as excited as me. I, I will say this is one of two episodes from this season that I actually remember. I'm Ooh. not going to say whether I think it's good or not because I don't remember that. I just sort of remember the basic plot. Okay. Um, I have a feeling it might if, be just a little bit good. I'll take a little it bit good. Can stick to a solid plot line throughout the whole of the episode without diverting too heavily or crazily. And as long as the dialogue doesn't make me cringe physically, then <laughs> should be on a good roll. For the rest of the season, <laughs> I will say, and this this is in its favour. Um, for the first time in a long time, this episode has no upcoming episode has no writing credits for Berman or Braga. Yeah, interesting. I'm I'm intrigued. There you go. That's how we sell it. <laughs> well, that's that. That is indeed that. If you have enjoyed this episode where two people were very tired. Three people were very tired, to be fair. I'm quite tired. Not as tired as, as Matt and Elliot, but, you know, we're all tired. It's a Friday evening for us. If you've enjoyed us, <laughs> you can find us on social media. I'll put all the links in the descriptions as well. We do now have 
hope uh, a coffee account so if you do enjoy us i'm going to put links to that in the description as well if you've enjoyed our episode and you'd like to send us a little tip you'll be gratefully received and all proceeds will go towards improving the quality of the show and uh yeah check it out we're still working on that patreon thing it might be live by the time you listen to this but it's not yet as we record but once it is we will shout out about that as well and join us next time for minefield thank you for listening take care bye-bye bye-bye see you next time